Welcome everyone to episode 150 on the Practicology Podcast. We are taking the month of February to read through John Stott's Why I Am a Christian. This is our third episode linked to the book. Episode 148 covered the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is the one-of-a-kind Savior. Last week's episode was about Jesus as Christus Victor, who not only died for us, but fought for us at the cross. And this week, we are thinking about chapter 5 in the book. Stott called it the key to freedom. And he begins this chapter saying, The fifth reason why I am a Christian is that I have found Jesus Christ to be the key to freedom. Amen, John Stott. And don't you just love that there are so many reasons for being a Christian? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is such a powerful reason to be a Christian, but it only makes number five on the cut list for John Stott. Then again, maybe this will become your number one reason for um, believing in Jesus Christ. But let's just talk about freedom then in this episode, Matthew. Uh, three things I want to focus in on. Number one, the big opportunity of freedom. Number two, the big problem with freedom. And then thirdly, the great offer of freedom. So just to start at the top there, uh, the big opportunity of freedom. If you were to pull all the non-Christians in your life, how many of them would be interested in something that gives them salvation? I'm guessing the response would be pretty low. Hmm. Uh, as Stott says in the chapter for this week, he, he says many people turn their noses down at that word salvation. And, and of course, many others would be drawing a complete blank as to what it even means. They have no concept of what salvation would mean. But if you were to pull uh, the non-Christians in your life a second question and ask them how many of them would be interested in something that gives them freedom, likely you'd see a a lot more response. And and so this is what I mean when I say that there is a huge opportunity uh, of freedom. The concept of freedom really connects with what many people are looking for and what they value. So it connects with their desires and it also connects with their understanding. It's easy for them to understand something about freedom. So there's a lot of payoff in using the word freedom in our evangelism. The Lord Jesus used it himself, and uh, we should use it in our preaching today as well. It's relatable, it's understandable. And Mike, the great thing is that this is very much a Christian word. I mean, we don't need to steal it from the culture to use it. As Christians, this is our word. Stott is right. Freedom is a good modern word for salvation. To be saved by Jesus Christ is to be set free. And freedom is a a Bible word, as I mentioned. It's a major theme in the Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt. They were set free. They were given laws about the year of Jubilee. That's a fascinating study. And when we come to the New Testament, the first recorded message of the Lord Jesus preaching includes a part where he quotes Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's like the the concept of Jubilee. And then he claims to be the fulfillment of this prophecy. So Jesus is the great liberator, the one who sets people free. What a wonderful reason to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And of course, on the cross, he purchased our redemption. That's another theme that's all about our, our freedom. So we have a really strong match here. On the one hand, freedom is a powerful theme that comes through the whole Bible and is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. And on the other hand, freedom is the highest valued good in our culture. It is a non-negotiable. So that in the gospel, we have something to offer that our world is just itching for. I mean, just think about how freedom shows up in our lives. Um, Many car and truck commercials are really commercials about freedom. 
You know, get away from the office, the pressure, the demanding boss, hit the road in this truck and be free. Uh, we, we look to trucks today to carry different heavy loads. Not, not a load of firewood or garbage, but the emotional burdens and pressures of life. Or there's Justice Anthony Kennedy's famous line in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. He, he writes, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Uh, America is big on freedom, it even has a statue to, to liberty. Uh, the American anthem sings about the land of the free. And uh, freedom was the cry of the French Revolution. Uh, Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Looks like my French needs a little work there. Um, and here in Canada, we sing, God keep our land glorious and free. So it, it's everywhere. Our children are indoctrinated uh, in, in the merits of freedom. In, in many a popular show or movie or song, we can think of Elsa singing in the movie Frozen, I'm free. And, and so given such a high regard for freedom in the world, the message that Jesus Christ can set you free, that there's freedom in the Lord Jesus, is a message that we'll really preach. All right, so that's the big opportunity of freedom. But even as we hear you go through some of those cultural references, Mike, uh, I think we're hearing hints of the second point that you are bringing. There is a big problem with freedom. That's right, yeah. I mean, we, we can maybe sense that there's a problem with it, but sometimes it's hard to put words to what the problem is exactly. You see, we, we love freedom in the West. We, we talk about freedom, we sing about freedom, we defend freedom. But meanwhile, what if we have the wrong concept of freedom? The freedom that we believe in is what John Stott and others have called absolute freedom. Well, what is absolute freedom? Well, absolute freedom is this. It means I have no master or owner. No one has the right to tell me how to live. No one has the right to say I must do something or I can't do something. No one gets to tell me who I am or who I should be. I am free to define myself, to be who I want to be, and to do what I want to do as long as I don't harm anyone else. So another way to say this is absolute freedom means the complete absence of all constraints. Yeah, or in the words of Justice Kennedy that you quoted a moment ago in that majority opinion, uh, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. But Mike, that view of freedom, I mean, that is so prevalent in the air we breathe. Uh, people just assume it to be true. Like many could be listening to this right now and saying, yeah, that sounds normal. It sounds right. That's what true freedom is all about. Like, what's the problem here? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. And it's not like someone got up and, and gave a lecture on freedom and we just followed all the arguments carefully and became convinced that freedom equals the absence of all constraints. No, we, we just absorb this view of freedom. As you say, it's in the air we breathe. We, we assume that it's true. We just know that this is what freedom is all about. But <clears throat> there is a big problem because there is no such thing as absolute freedom. This view of freedom that we've absorbed and, and, and assumed is a mirage. It doesn't exist. Uh, Stott points this out, although he doesn't dwell on it long, but, but we can put it this way, it is impossible for any human being to be absolutely free in the modern sense. Well, why is that? Because we're human beings, we're, we're creatures. We cannot not have a master. We can't not be in the service of someone or something. Remember what Jesus said? He said, no one can serve two masters. You, you can't serve God and money. 
it's either one or the other? Well, it is an equally biblical teaching that no one can serve no master, zero masters. We all have to have some master. So help us with some examples to grasp this, Mike. Uh, as we've said, we're, we're kind of indoctrinated almost into this kind of thinking about freedom. Um, help me to see why this view of freedom is wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, Stott gives the famous example of a fish. Yeah. So, so in order for a fish to enjoy the freedom of living and the freedom of swimming, it has to remain within the constraints of a body of water. When I used to work at an airport, I had a summer student with me in the car, and uh, the air traffic control told us to hold short of runway 26. As I pointed out to my summer student, I, I could have responded to ATC, uh, who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? I'm free, and just driven ahead. But that would not have been freedom. That, that would have been death. I would have lost my freedom to live, and he would have lost his freedom to go to parties that weekend because we both would have been smoked by a plane. Uh, or think of this powerful quote from uh, Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson. They say, no matter how often we experience liberation from constraints, limitations, and oppression, we still find ourselves falling into new forms of bondage. We get free from boredom and fall into slavery to distraction. We pursue liberty from prohibitions and fall into bondage to addictions. We escape repression and become enslaved to lust. We are released from isolation and fall captive to peer pressure and the power of the online mob. We pursue liberty from the constraints upon our nature and fall into bondage to our untrained passions. They say, true freedom is more complicated than it looks. Well, they're absolutely right. True freedom is more complicated than it looks. Say, someone gives you a phone and this phone rescues you from boredom, but pretty soon you find you're enslaved to it. You're, you're addicted to it. Or you're so excited, someone's so excited to move out on their own where no parent will be there to monitor what they're watching and, and the person thinks, oh, I'm free. And so they start looking at all kinds of pornographic content, which gives them a high, which, which makes them need to watch more stuff. And pretty soon they're addicted to it and, and they need it more and more. Meanwhile, the more they look at it, the less it gives, but it's too late because they're already enslaved to it. So the point is, we absolutely cannot extricate ourselves from being servants of some master. We cannot free ourselves from all limits and constraints. We're creatures. We, we want to be able to say, I am. But ultimately, only God has that kind of freedom to define himself and be a servant of no one. Only he is the absolute I am. Absolutely. And uh, while these are helpful examples, it's important for us to also show, I think, that this is biblically true as well. I, I know you feel the same way, Mike. I mean, the, the Bible nowhere teaches this concept of absolute freedom, certainly not like what Justice Kennedy said. Um, the, the great Old Testament book on freedom, we could say, is Exodus, we mentioned earlier. And it's all about an oppressed people in slavery in Egypt, slaving under the cruel whips of their Egyptian taskmasters. And God hears their cry. He comes down to deliver them, to set them free. He sends the ten plagues. He provides the Passover lamb. He's a divine warrior at the Red Sea and overthrows Pharaoh's armies. He sets his people free. But what's the second half of the book all about? Israel has a new master now and a new set of rules and constraints. Freedom to be enjoyed is always going to have some constraint. First they serve Pharaoh. Now they serve God. Much better to serve God. First they were under an evil master, now they're under a, a good master. 
uh, or if we could take the words of Stodd, he, he says, freedom is never just freedom from, there is always a second part to it, it is freedom for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as Bob Dylan said, you gotta serve somebody. And under Pharaoh, they built cities for Pharaoh. Under God, in the second half of Exodus, they built a tabernacle, a house for God. So they're still serving someone. They're still building. They're still working. They're still having to obey someone. The difference is not that they're no longer under a master. The difference is that they're under a different master. And as Tim Keller so helpfully said, freedom is not the absence of constraints. It's the presence of the right constraints. I often think about that truth when I'm cross-country skiing in the winter here. Uh, in, in classic skiing, the groomer goes ahead and makes a trail for you and, and forms these two hard grooves in the snow as, as tracks for you. And, and I could say, I could be skiing along and say, I'm not going to limit my skis to these restrictive tracks. I'll put my skis where I want to. But if you know anything about cross-country skiing, you know that this is not the path to freedom. It's, it's when I submit to those tracks, it's when I place my skis inside those grooves that I get to enjoy the freedom of just gliding over the snow. Those parallel grooves provide the very constraint I need to experience the exhilarating freedom of skiing. So freedom comes from being in the right constraints, not from somehow escaping all constraints. I have also learned the truth of your cross-country skiing example, Mike. It's very true. Uh, we need those grooves. So then the big question we want to ask ourselves in this context now is which set of constraints was I made to live in? Which set of tracks uh, will I find true freedom? Which Lord or Master should I serve? Yeah, those are great questions. And our world says, well, you're free to be who you want to be. No one gets to tell you who you should be or what you should do. But what if we were to follow that belief? Then all of us would be nothing more than slaves to the world, right? We, we would be just obeying this thing that, that, that I've just said. Um, we'd be obeying, we, we would be obeying the message of the world. We would be obeying all the content creators who are telling us this message. You see, we, we can't not have a master. We have to obey someone or something. And not only would we be slaves to the world, but we would be slaves to ourselves because we would be enslaved by our own desires, many of which are sinful. Remember how Jesus defines slavery in John 8, 34. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Rebecca McLaughlin has such a punchy way of saying this. She says, the Bible has a word for pursuing unlimited self-fulfillment. It's slavery. So if we swallow the world's line about freedom, we'll just become slaves of our puny little selves as well as slaves of sin and death and Satan. Yeah, that's the truth. You just quoted John 8 there, Mike, and uh, all that you're bringing before us in, the, in this episode you know, makes me glad that uh, that's not the only thing the Lord Jesus said about freedom there when he mentioned that uh, the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. He also says in verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be really, truly free. And to repeat that opening line in this week's chapter, the fifth reason why I am a Christian is that I have found Jesus Christ to be the key to freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that just takes us to uh, our third and final part of this episode, which is the great offer of freedom. You just quoted that stat line one more time. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, Matthew, about someone who I think would have said a very loud, boisterous amen to that, you know, had he heard Stott say that. And I'm thinking of the demoniac man in Mark 5, 
I think he's a powerful picture for us of the contrast between the world's freedom and the freedom that Christ brings. At the one level, this man, before Jesus came into his life, this, this man lived free of a lot of constraints. I mean, he had power to break chains for crying out loud. He, he roams all over the place. He's not limited by the four walls of a house and the duties of normal life like most normal people are. He's, he's cast off all those restraints. But of course, all, the whole while, he's not really free at all. He, he's in bondage to a master, the demons in his head that inhabit him. But then the sun steps onto the shore to set him free. Jesus, by his word, he commands the unclean spirits to get out of him, and they do. And the next time the people in the towns and villages see this man, they see that he's clothed and in his right mind. And where is he? He's sitting down at the feet of Jesus. You see, this is the true freedom that Jesus offers. He says to us, he says, I can set you free from sin. I can free you from your guilt. I can free you from your old master, Satan. I can even free you from your silly little self, as John Stock calls it. But, but my freedom, you know, and this is still what Jesus offers to us, he says, my freedom is not just freedom from, it's freedom for, I will be your new master and Lord. Yeah, that, that account in Mark's Gospel was actually our reading uh, with the family at the table this morning. I enjoy what you've said about it. It's a wonderful truth. This man had found Jesus Christ to be the key to freedom, just like John Stott has, and you and I have, Mike, and many millions more. Who is the Lord under whose authority we are truly free? It is Jesus Christ. What set of beliefs and teachings and constraints are the ones in which we are free to be who we were always made to be? It's the teaching of Jesus Christ. Think again once more of his words in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says, if you abide, right? If you remain. In other words, he says to his disciples, if you stay stuck in my word, you will be free. And um, someone has said, you know, it's the things that you chain yourself to that set you free. Jesus is saying, chain yourself to me, chain yourself to my word, my teaching, and, and you will be free. So, so look at this man that we're talking about, this demoniac man in Mark 5. The son's word set him free. He, he's a human being again. He's free to be who he was made to be. He's dressed like a human, not an animal. He's in his right mind. He's been restored to healthy thought capacities. He's ready to be reintegrated into the human community. And he's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. He's abiding and staying in Jesus' word, in his teaching and truth. And how did this new master tame him? How did Jesus get him to just sit there nicely at his feet with a big stick or, or with a heavy chain? No, but with an invisible bond of love. And this is actually how John Stott finishes his chapter on freedom. He finishes it by talking about love. And you know, there is nothing that limits our freedoms more than when we enter a love relationship. But at the same time, as, as Tim Keller has taught, there is no greater form of freedom than that of being in a love relationship with someone. Nothing will limit our personal freedoms more. Nothing will limit our personal independence more than believing the word of Christ and staying put in his teaching. But nothing will give us a greater experience of freedom than to be in the love relationship with him that ensues because he is the master we were made for to flourish under and flourish with. 
Excellent. Amen. And Stott closes his chapter with a profound truth. It's the truth that Stott learned from the Lord Jesus when he called us in Mark 8 to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That's the path of life. Stott says, this brings us to a startling human paradox. Let me state it simply like this. True freedom is freedom to be my true self as God made me and meant me to be. But God made me for loving, and loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself in love for God and others. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. I love those words. It, this is why I go back. I mean, this is I, I love Stott's writing, but I, I go back to what we said in our first episode a couple weeks ago, Mike. This book excites me to be a Christian. He presents it so well. Uh, there's nothing like the Christian faith. Absolutely. And here, uh, Christ is offering us the very thing that our world loves, sings about, defends, and is crying for, and it's freedom. And you know, Matthew, as we close this episode, I'm just thinking of how last week's episode and this one run together. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is Christus victor, right? He has won the victory uh, by dying for us on the cross. And because of his victory at the cross, now he is able to offer freedom. It's because he was willing to be stuck to that cross and refused to come down to save himself because he limited himself in that way and went ahead with that that cruel death. Um, he has the power to liberate us and set us free. All right, thank you for the teaching, Mike. In the reading schedule, you are slated to read chapter 6 in the coming week. Uh, our next episode is actually going to be focused on chapter 7, so if you could make it another two-chapter week, that would be a, a benefit to you. And then you will have completed the book. We hope you're enjoying it. Still happy to hear from you. Any feedback you have on these episodes or on what you're reading in the book. May the Lord bless you all.